0: Welcome to Ageless by Rescue. This podcast is devoted to exploring the science of rejuvenation, uncovering the most trusted experts, the must-have products, innovations, and technology in the field of vitality, aesthetics, new beauty, and cosmetic enhancement. Dr. Fred Gross is a psychologist, rabbi, author, and amazing business coach. This episode is dedicated to designing a magnificent life. A tall order, but one that is achievable. Frequently referred to as the unfair advantage by superachiever clients around the globe, Dr. Gross could also be called the father of the modern day coaching and mentoring world. Some 40 years ago, in his thriving psychotherapy practice in Phoenix, Arizona, a number of Dr. Fred's clients began to engage him as their corporate consultant. Word got out, and these days, he is coach and mentor to some of the highest achievers around the world. Dr. Fred specializes in helping people bring out their talents and passions, connect with their souls and to create what he refers to as a magnificent life. An international speaker, business psychotherapist, consultant and coach. Dr. Fred, as he is lovingly referred to, is now in his 80s and teaches profound life changing strategies. Dr. Fred has been my business and life coach on and off for over 25 years, and he's also featured in my book, Rescue Me A Makeover Guide for a Life More Fabulous. His book, Black Belt of the Mind, is both extraordinary and groundbreaking in that it literally spells out the path to planning your best life and taking accountability for everything you bring into it. In this episode, we discuss designing a life that is worth living well into your 90s and beyond. He shares his coaching strategies to understand and expand the goals and experiences that set your soul on fire and how to bring joy, energy and purpose into every day. This episode will transform the way you look at relationships. Dr. Fred believes that all relationships are renewable contracts, your health and your happiness. I'm so honored to bring the wonderful Dr. Fred Gross to the Ageless by Rescue podcast. This is probably going to be one of my favorite episodes, I already know, because Dr. Fred Gross is one of the dearest and most enlightened people in my life. I met him, I think, over 25 years ago when I was 23 years old um, through one of my mentors, John McGrath. Dr. Fred is a rabbi, a psychologist, a business coach, a life coach, and one of the wisest people that I know. Uh, Dr. Fred, I'm so delighted to welcome you to Ageless by Rescue podcast.
1: Thank you, Abahar.
0: Cool, hey, <laughs> so, Dr. Fred um, was the first person in my life, and I was very young when I heard this concept. Is that he described the process of designing a life? So, as a life coach, as a business coach, Dr. Fred works with some of the highest achievers in the world. He's He works all around the world and you created this um, business model where you would bring in uh, mastermind groups and you would teach us how to design not just a business life, but also a a real life that would match our ambitions, uh, our lifespan And to make sure that we had the health span and vitality and the structure to enjoy the spoils of the business teachings that you share with your group. So let's start there with the concept of designing a life. What's that all about?
1: Good question. Bahar, let me ask you a question right now. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your life overall? One to 10.
0: I would say I'm at about a seven at the moment.
1: I'm about a 10 all the time. And one of the things I would like to push you and other people to is to figure out how every day can genuinely be 10 out of 10. So if you normally in a small poppy world, life throws you its experiences and you react to them. You're the victim of time and experience. I teach people that's the starting point. It's like a bush. If you want to do topiary or make beautiful bushes, you start with the bush and then you trim it. In this case, I would like people to figure out where their 1 to 10 is and then learn how to add to or subtract from activities and people that make the day 10 out of 10. What that means is that there are things that make your heart sing 10 out of 10, there are experiences that make your heart sing. It might be a cup of coffee, it might be a cuddle, it might be a hot bubble bath, it might be getting your nails done, whatever that is. And I'm asking you to pay attention that if you drop below 10, I would like you to have a huge list of what I call 10s, 25s, 50s, and 100s. A 10 is something that makes your heart sing on a daily basis. A 25 is something that makes your heart sing on a fortnightly to monthly basis. And a 50 to 75 several times a year, like going to Europe or taking a motorbike ride right around Australia. And so what I ask people to start doing is to harvest from inside of themselves the things that make their heart purr and feel good. And most people don't focus on that. If They go back and they think they think of being bullied, they think of awkward things, being punished, rather than to go through their consciousness, what we call long body, the spirit, and from that harvest the things that really move you. And everyone I love, for instance, uh, a cappella music, I like opera. I love fine coffee. Nobody has to talk me into that. There are things that everyone loves. And if you can have a master menu, you can have a seven-day and then add your little peanut, your little daughter, and add in your new boyfriend, and add in music, and all of a sudden the seven-day, with a fine dinner, can really be a ten-day. And what happens is you actually train your unconscious to not allow you to settle for less than 10 out of 10. And that's called designing a life rather than accepting it. Many people are victims of life. In other words, whatever happens, happens. And they talk about being helpless and unable to change. And I think that's absurd. I can make every day 10 out of 10, no matter what's going on. And uh, we did. We've done that for every day for the last five or 10 years. My wife and I do things together. Some of it includes going out to dinner, drinking fine wine, listening to fine music, and all of that makes the day beautiful. Can
0: you give us some examples of the Tens? Because for someone who isn't familiar with the concept, I remember when I first came to this concept, and you made us actually keep a workbook or or a diary, rather, of the Tens, the things that you can add as spices to your day that make your heart sing. And it's really interesting because when I first did it, I could probably only list about 10 things. But then it's like a muscle that as you train it and exercise, you start catching things that inspire you, that give you joy. And it could be the strangest, weirdest thing. So, for example, one of the things that through the work that I've done with you over the past 25 years, I know that I like the products that I clean my home with to smell nice and be elevated. And it completely transforms how I interact with something so quotidian as wiping down my bench after breakfast. So I only have really amazing household cleaning products. And every time I spritz that thing to wipe down my kitchen bench, something that would have annoyed me or just been by the by becomes an elevated experience. And so I started catching things that I like. So, for example, having flowers in my home always is a a huge elevation of spirit. So 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 instead of waiting to be gifted flowers, I get myself flowers and I put them in places that catch my eye and elevate my spirit. So, you know, when I get flowers, it's maybe a 20 out of 10, but for the day to day, I have topped up my day, but it would be great for you to share what some of the things that you have seen, or recommend, or a thought status for our 10 list? And how many should we have?
1: First of all, you should have at least 500 10s. And you do that by catching yourself feeling that way. So that if you are purring and you're just, like you talked about the household product, I love feeding birds in the morning. So when we're in Christchurch, we feed 100 birds and they sing and they make all kinds of That makes me smile. I love listening to opera. I love listening to a cappella. I love the human voice and activity. I love hot bubble baths. I love fine grind coffee. I love getting a cuddle from Victoria. I like when people appreciate what I do. And so if you catch yourself when you're really feeling good, you write down that experience and you can go back. And have that experience by remembering. And that's why you take photos at a wedding, or well, that's why you uh, write notes that would help prompt your memory. So inside of you will be thousands and thousands of things that you love, but it will have gone into your unconscious. And I'd like to bring them into pre-conscious, so that in very easily you can look through your list of 500 and say, "Hmm, I'm going to go out to fine dining. I'm going to pull a cork on it from the earth." an Otago red wine. I'm going to get a massage. I want to get my nails done. I'll get my hair done. I'm going to walk around the block and greet people. I'm going to do charitable events or whatever it is that makes you genuinely feel good. And you catch yourself. And then you have to write them down because they'll go back to the unconscious. 500 is a working number. It's like a menu of how you'll go from seven to 10, plus the habit that you don't tolerate under nine.
0: You know, one of the um, things that I said at the beginning of the podcast is that you are a psychologist, uh, but you also have a really deep spiritual aspect of the work that you do. And I'd love for you to share perhaps some of the science behind what you're suggesting in terms of harvesting your subconscious and also creating visual imagery that you can remember, because not even doing it, sometimes just remembering Uh, A 10 out of 10 experience or a 50 experience can, um, you know, trigger the same hormones. As So I'd love for you to share a little bit about the science behind
1: that. There's no science behind it. It's experience. Science is something you do systematically. Inside of you, Bahar, and inside of every person, are all kinds of unconscious patterns, some of which make you feel good. So if you remember when somebody yelled at you or you had road rage, you'd have one experience. If you remember the first kiss from a new boyfriend, that will give you a different experience. And I'm asking you to be able to just through catching yourself and harvesting from inside of you things that make you feel good. And then we don't remember. You write it down. If you try to remember, you'll forget. And as you get older, it gets worse and worse. If you have 500 things you go through and you say, what colors am I going to wear today? What perfume am I going to wear today? Who am I going to make somebody's day? What charitable activities will we do? Serendipitous, making people feel good. What types of um, learning am I going to include? And you can actually plan and design the day to uplift yourself. It's not scientific, it's experiential. So if you like chocolate chip cookies. You might bake them and have them in the kitchen. You may not even eat them. What do you have to do is smell them? Okay? You might go to your little girl whom you love and say, what can I do to make her life beautiful? Every morning in my meditation and prayer, I say to myself, what can I do to help Victoria, my 35-year wife, who's amazing, a blessing, so that she will feel loved? Every day I do that. And ideas pop out of my unconscious. And it could be words. It could be a cuddle. It could be let's go out to dinner. It could be anything of that nature. So we're harvesting things that bring about the experience, either in memory. Could be a movie. Could be a person you'll it Could be next week we go to Crete. We're going to spend a month in Crete, and we speak Vic speaks twenty four languages. And when we get to Crete, just anticipating Crete, the the uh, kebabs that we'll have, the people that we'll meet. We're going to be going to Chania, I.S. along the beach, and there, I can feel and smell the ocean in the harbor. I can very easily, so can you, go to Jerusalem. I used to live in Jerusalem as an archaeologist. And I can walk in the wall of Jerusalem and look down to the the market and see where we're going to buy coffee and where we're going to get pita bread and hummus. And by putting myself there, I feel uplifted.
0: So, speaking about that uh, feeling, one of the things that you also teach a lot of your high net worth individuals who are very, very driven, and they come to you, I guess, for business coaching or life coaching, and one of the first things that you insist that we do is insert play and playfulness and that childlike wonder. Is that part of the menu of 10s and 25s and 50s and 100s? Is that something
1: that we... Yes. So you might even take on, as a teacher, a little kid and play with them. Your, daughter, your daughter's too old already, but you might want to babysit somebody just to remember what play feels like. What happens with the driven people is they're driven in one channel to make money, to it, so maybe to invest to whatever it is. It could be to buy toys. And there's nothing wrong with that. But usually they don't get pleasure from that. It's like an obsession. It's different from being kissed. And so I'm asking my people to find their natural inclination. I believe, my belief structure, is that everyone has areas of genius and areas that please them. So that you could say that when you were born, you were programmed to like chocolate rather than vanilla. You were programmed to be beautiful. You were programmed to speak in a particular way. And what I ask people to do is to find out their natural talents and abilities and to live life from them. If they have national disabilities, for instance, I can't fix anything, but I can talk for 10 hours to 25,000 people without notice. So that I work for my strengths. And when I don't have strengths, I hire people. You know, people to do the computer, people to wash the car, people to do the lawn, people to mind the house. And I delegate that and pay them. As a result, Big and I can spend more time doing the things we're good and enjoy doing. So we're harvesting something that's pre-wired from before birth. I'm going to take this a little further. Theologically, I'm a God believer. i one of the people who feels that what I do is teach God's work. I believe that every person I've ever met sat down with the creator of the universe before they were born and planned their life. They planned who their parents would be the challenges they would take on, the uh, experiences that they would have, the wealth level they would have. And then for some reason, after you and God shake hands, you are born, your mom you've chosen, and you go about living life, many of the small pockets forgot that they made the plan. So how could that happen to me? You planned it, we just fulfilling it. My work in teaching and coaching is to help people get in touch with the plan they made with the creator of the universe, to live out their dharma or their destiny. When you align with your destiny, life is like flowing downstream. You you go with the flow, it's called dharma. And the work that happens is many people are obliviously are pulled by television, they're pulled by voicemail, they're pulled by idiots they don't want to be with. And I'm saying, learn how to design your day, hour by hour, follow a plan. If you were busy and all of a sudden it was time for you to get on a plane to go visit your grandma in Atlanta, Georgia, you would stop and you would get on the plane. You would have a program. I'm asking you to program every day so that you follow your plan rather than anyone else's.
0: Dr. Fred, going back to designing your own life and not being sabotaged by other people's agendas, which you touched on, um, let's talk about some of the bigger things, the bigger rocks that you speak of, which are the 25s, the 50s and the 100s. What do they, what are they and how do we harvest them?
1: Most people's lives that I see are boring. I wouldn't want to live any of those lives. It's basically you work, you eat, you shit, and you go to work and you go back again. And do you think that's why
0: people would
1: die early or get disease early? Die at age 80, having watched all the Netflix they can watch without a sense of purpose or destiny. The antidote to that is to find out your naturally wired destiny path. You can tell when you align with your destiny, your pace quickens, you feel good. If you like to be with someone, your heart quirkens. If you see a cat purring, it's the same experience. So you the big rocks are the things that have been programmed inside of you for passion and ability <clears throat> and then living. I hear people say, I'm going to Greece next week. We're going to be going there, mention that. And our hearts quicken. And people say, I wish I could do that. And we say, All no, you have to do is buy the ticket. Oh, it's expensive. Yes, it's true, but you smoke dope and you do all kinds of weird stuff. You could buy tickets anywhere if you reallocate it. And they, they get insulted because they feel obligated to buy cocaine. So part one is the big rocks are the natural things that make your life worthwhile. And you can tell when you're with someone you like, you glow. When you, when I'm with Victoria, life is beautiful. Okay. So the big rocks could be travel. So we spend a lot of time traveling could be eating fine dining could be drinking red wine could be getting a regular massage could be getting manicure pedicure it could be getting facials it could be having time with people you enjoy spending it so the big rocks are the things that are aligned with your destiny your talents your passion your dharma and when you do it it's effortless because you're doing it with your life i'm 86 years old i've discounted myself to 66 because you can change that many people People I know will die by the age of 80 out of boredom. All the people who are good Australians will die so that the government doesn't have to pay out superannuation. I'm planning to live to 120. I'm going to do it in fitness and and with having passion, not drooling. My vision is I will die on stage at 120 and everyone there gets a free beer. (laughs) That's what it was. So, the big rocks are the things that are important. I believe that between 80 and 120, I'll do my best work. And many people are choosing to die watching television and stuff, which is absurd, or listening to um, other people tell them what to do.
0: And what are 50s, Dr. Fred? We're, we're kind of climbing up the ladder of, uh, of purring, I guess.
1: <laughs> it has to do with curiosity. All of them make you feel wonderful. However, if you had a birthday every day, it would be too much. If you went to the theater every day, it might be good to have it as a 25 or once a month, but to go every day would be too much. To go for some of golf might be too much every day, but once a quarter might be wonderful. Going to Europe a couple of times a year is about as much as you can take unless you're a pilot. So the bigger numbers indicate curiosity. And all of them have to be there. So the homework I give is to write down 510s and keep them in a way that you can refer to them daily, to write down 250, 25s, things that you do fortnightly or monthly and see fine dining, going to the theater, um, taking a, a beach holiday or something like that, having a birthday, celebrating a religious holiday. Yes. So, okay. so part of that would be the bigger numbers. There also we have something called a hundred. Hundred is the same as the numbers, but if you have a hundred, it's like Vic and I were in Paris. We eat at the this uh the George Hotel we have the very thing what's the name? George Sank. George Sank, yes. And we had spent two thousand euros for a meal, which was nice and it was worth it. Then we got on the Orient Express and went to Istanbul. And every day on the Orient Threshold, I had to dress in tuxedo to go into the dining car. And I was eating amazing foie gras, which I love. And you can't do that every day. So that was a hundred. Why did it get to be a hundred rather than you know, once in a lifetime is because it was tax deductible. We did a seminar on the train. Yeah? And basically the tickets were free. I used points from Qantas. <laughs> You take something that you really love and have someone else pay for it or have it tax deductible. So a trip to Italy, which cost up to $40,000, if I'm using points and if I'm using a business seminar in Florence or a business seminar in uh, Athens, it goes to half price. So the numbers and the curiosity means that all of these vibrations need to be touched. So when I say people's lives are boring, what did you do? Well, we went to the grocery store. We went to the beach. We went to Lusa once for two days. I have people, somebody I know just flew to Paris for four days. That's absolutely crazy. Go for three weeks. Otherwise, you don't get into the flavor. You get lost. You don't speak French. Speaking of
0: flavor, one of the things that I have always admired about your marriage with Victoria, and Victoria and I, have enjoyed a beautiful friendship. And there's so much wisdom in Victoria. That's another episode on its own. But uh your get a life weekend concept. And I think that if you know anyone in a relationship would consider doing just one thing to enhance the flavor and the richness of their relationship, it would be to follow the recipe of your and yours and Victoria's Get a Life weekend. And I would love for you to share with us what that looks like and what that's all about.
1: I want to preface it by saying we're married 35 years and it's been heaven. We fight, but we fight without destroying each other and we get much closer afterward. Okay. Get a life weekend means that in addition to cooking and doing business and other things, there's parts of your life that are business quality or, or require planning what holidays you're going to take. How are you going to deal with charity? What languages do you want to specialize? Um, so our Get a Life Weekend is a, a business meeting that we have every couple of weeks and then quarterly to figure out our plan of what we want to do, what we want to invest in, what we want to do for each other. Um, most of us, we brought up poor. So there, I've been self-employed since age 12. I've paid for everything since then. And so what we tend to do is we tend to look for fugo at times. We we'll go into a fancy store and we we'll look to get a bulk bargain or we'll wait for sales. And part of our get a life would be to be more abundant and to start realizing that rather than saving money, we live life to be to its bounty. And we know each other. So we will go into a shop, St. John's, an Armani, and she'll want to buy one outfit. No saying that's nice. Let's try on a few more. And part of the get a life has been to help big by five, five at a time. Mm-hmm. Loves it. I love it. And it allows her to not flow, but to live on with what we can afford rather than be free. In terms of our investments, in terms of where we travel, in terms of how we deal with my son or other people, in terms of what we do to give back. I, myself, am more traditionally religious as a Ram. I actually pray every day just to speak to it's more of a universal, let so would say? She's, she's a, a Jew, a Jew a Buddhist, and all kinds of things. And yet she's very spiritual. And the common denominator is spiritual. Our travel, we've planned to go to spiritual havens. So we've gone to the Vatican, we've gone to Jerusalem, we've gone to see the river. We visit temples in Bali. We love to be around people. Well, we celebrate their religious experience. And the Balinese do that, the Cambodians do that well. Part of the ghetto life is to make sure that every day is 10 out of 10, that we support each other. So I'll check in if Vic is having a bad day. I'll know her list of 10s and 25s, and I'll say, let's put a cork on a bottle of Brunello tonight, and let's go out to the French restaurant. No, with a certain, whatever her time, uh, she might have been the six or seven out of 10 for whatever reason. All of a sudden, she's smiling at me again because I know what the others would be. And she wouldn't feel up to doing that, but she'd come with me and enjoy the meal and the wine. So, what happens with our relationship is we're the wound under each other's wings. We know these tens and 25s of each other. And so, when we sit down and make our plans, we keep seeing are we balancing the things we're doing so that we have enough variety? Do, do we tolerate people who we don't? So we go through and winnow out people who are, have stopped growing and have died. We have a lot of people who get to a certain age and then they stop growing, and you can smell it, the stench of their death. And it's hard to be around them. Part of this get alive is to continually winnow. All we can out of ten is there more that we might regret if we didn't do. And Sorry, say
0: that again because that was such a
1: things word. that we. We'd regret, we keep asking each other, is there anything we might regret? And then we put it on the calendar to do it. We both had cancer and we encouraged each other to get immediate treatment rather than the a dilly dally. We both have friends that we've had to let go of because they died. We also do things together. This weekend, I'm going to be doing a funeral of someone I haven't seen in a long, long time, not the dead person, but the family. And all of a sudden, Vic will be with me, and we'll be giving the gift of our religious leadership, which is wonderful, and that's part of what we do. Am I answering your question?
0: Absolutely. And we've only got a few minutes left, so I just want to finish on the concept of green and growing or ripe and rotting and the renewable lease on
1: relationships. Okay, let's talk about what kind. Let's assume that they're beloved relationships. I believe that everyone, everyone can have a honeymoon relationship. A honeymoon relationship means that the relationship is 10 out of 10 and we top each other up all the time. Many people don't have that as a core belief. They see whatever happens, happens. If you have a fight, you wait for the fate the wounds to heal rather than learn conflict resolution skills, have meetings about what the issues are, because the issues for which most people give each other pain are repetitive. And so that we can learn how to have a 10 out of 10 honeymoon relationship. My job as husband is to learn the expression, yes, dear. So that whenever Vic wants something, even a hint of it, my job is to say, yes, dear, and make it happen. And she does that for me too. So that it's an enabling process. And so that we encourage each other unless we believe it might not be in our best interest.
0: And what happens to the expiration date and the renewal of this? Because you and Vic consciously and actively will meet and discuss whether you want to renew your commitment to each other.
1: Yes, we haven't been doing that as much lately because it's almost a given after 35 years. It was much more important in the beginning. But we believe that marriage is a one-year renewable experience. It has to be worth it. And the get-a-life weekends help make it worth it. Our job is to make sure that it would be absurd not to continue. And so it's, it's there. It's discussed. And believe it or not, after about 25 years, the pattern is clear, including the renewal part.
0: One of the best lessons I ever learned from you is that everything has an expiration date, milk, cheese,
1: relationships. Jobs, <laughs> locations, yes, and it's wonderful. So that when I buy a car, I'm figuring it if it's five or ten years. We just bought a house in Phoenix, Arizona, and before we furnished, we had to decide how long we'd be there, what would be the expiration date, and it would depend on the level of furnishings that we were going to put in. We decided we are going to be here 10 years, then we could go all out and furnish beautifully. So we did a lot of tidying up and we bought a new car to go with it. So expiration date is a wonderful thing. And we keep checking, is this relationship expired? Is this experience expired? We've just moved to Phoenix from Christchurch and we still have to maintain residence in New Zealand. The fact remains is that by coming here is a rejuvenation, travel is rejuvenation, but having a home that's beautiful, in community
0: is really an amazing way of restarting life. Well, Dr. Fred, I've never known anyone who is uh, always green and growing like you, and I'm so thrilled. You know, I had you in my book. Uh, I've The best times of my life, the times that I have been growing the fastest and the happiest has been the times that I've worked with you. You really are a gift on so many levels to me and to all the people that you work with. And I hope that anyone who's listened to this will uh, explore your work further because I, I truly couldn't recommend it enough. It's, it's been so illuminating and I'm so grateful always for your wisdom.
1: I want to make a special offer to you and your people. I have people can call my office and arrange for 15 free minutes with me for the first 10 or 15 people to call. So if they call my Susie, who's been with me 22 years, I love long-term relationships. They can arrange to have a 15-minute chat with me on any subject they like, no charge.
0: That is so beautiful and gracious. And honestly, I would recommend it to anyone. There are, everyone knows my doctor Fredisms. It's peppered in all of my language. And if you've ever worked with Dr. Fred, your Lexicon actually changes, so I want to thank you once more and um, wish you a wonderful holiday in uh, Greece and um,
1: wish you a wonderful next 40 years. Thank you very much, Huber, precious, and to you and to your family. And it should you should continually to bring blessings to people as you do. Thank you, thank you, Dr. Fred. Have a wonderful day. Bye, Miss Bahar.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share and rate this episode. I'd love that.